back. We got the next podcast up and running, ready to roll. Uh, pretty excited to be back. We've got quite a few listeners that have given us some feedback about this helping them out. So hopefully it's helping you out too. This is making it really fun is reading that stuff coming through. Um, today I'm going to have a podcast. I'm going to talk a little bit about the commercial real estate, what we're dealing with right now with uh, getting our brick and mortar location up and running. Um, there's a lot of different things that go into this and there's a lot of research. I mean, just this podcast alone is not going to give you any information really compared to what is all out there. Um, but we're realizing we're, we're in the steps now where we know exactly where we need to be with the commercial real estate. We know what our build out is going to be. And I want to talk a little bit about all those steps that came up to get us there. So we are buying a, or well, we're not buying, we're leasing a location is what it's looking like. Um, Yonkers has went on a business. So there's a really popular mall nearby us. Uh, it's got a 74,000 square foot, uh, just perfect facility for us. It's got exactly the electrical needs we need. It's got the water where we need it to be. Um, well, we made the water where it needed to be, but I'm going to kind of go way back here. <clears throat> I'm going to start from the beginning of exactly how this all began and all the steps we went through. So originally we were looking for a commercial real estate property that was going to fulfill our size needs. So we did some research on how long our track needed to be, how many, how many meeting spaces we need, how many square footed that that was going to calculate out to. And we contacted a commercial broker and had him tell us about a few properties. We took him out to lunch, talked about what we were doing, found somebody who was really into the uh, performance automotive scene that, you know, might take that appreciation for the go-kart track, uh, more than what your average person would do. Um, so we met with him and one of the locations we were interested in, we used to be an old Toys R Us. So we went to this Toys R Us, Connor and myself, we looked through this whole property and we thought, you know what, this might work. It seems a little small. It's about 35,000 square feet. That's about the smallest we could get. Uh, so we sat down, we started writing out how we want to look and how we want the track layout to be. And I uh, started realizing really quickly that we cannot do that space. That space just was not going to work. Just the layout, where the bathrooms were, it was going to take an, a substantial amount of investment in that location to make it work. So um, we went on considering we were going to go find some other locations. Well, Connor had brought up this Yonkers location before, and I was very against it because I didn't like the idea of being in a mall, possibly being like a destination for kids that could kill our entire vibe of what we're going for for an adult indoor Grand Prix style racetrack where I mean we're going to have a bar in our facility and uh, meeting space businesses we can't have children running around so the mall I felt like left the door open to that and didn't give us that opportunity well as I'm leaving leaving towards Ross it's across the street from the mall and as I'm leaving I see this location and so I thought what the hell I'll go there so I pull into the location and I drive around and I thought that maybe Connor was right which I won't admit very often um but so we made some phone calls, tried to figure out if we could get in front of the landlords. Well, the we, we didn't have any luck going through our commercial broker. He wasn't really doing us any good. Um, so we actually decided to take matters into our own hands because we want to get things rolling. Uh, so we called the commercial property management company ourselves, CBL Properties. Now, the we just so happened to call the day that there was a new stair manager that got, in, got put in place. Um, so kind of dumb luck. He just returned the call and said, hey, I'm, I'm interested. Let's, let's talk next week. Let's have a conversation. Um, I don't think normally that would happen. I think we just happened to get things at the right place at the right time with that. So we met with him the next week, and I brought out our business plan, which I've spent a significant amount of time putting together to make sure that it communicated exactly what we're doing and what our plans are. Um, he looked at it and was extremely excited. 
the location, the, the malls across America right now, they're going after trying to be more of an experience driven or um, even housing. So there's actually two Yonkers locations at this mall. One was a two story one that's going to end up being a hotel. And this one is the one that we're going to be taking the 74,000 square foot one. So we meet with the, the commercial real estate brokers uh, or the, uh, the the director of commercial real estate. Um, and we sit down, we talk about what we want to do. And he says he really likes it. He likes the idea. He likes where it's going. And um, they've been a great partner. They've been willing to show us exactly what they've done for people in the past and what they're willing to do for us for investment. And they're kind of helping us walk us through this way. So it, it's been really helpful. Um, I went into this thinking I kind of understood a little bit of the commercial real estate game because I've had some myself and sold it and went through you know the rentals and things. And what I realized is that this game is, commercial real estate is just so broad. I mean, any, you can do anything with it. Um, I, I keep using the analogy to people that if you want to write a contract where I have to do a cartwheel every time I pay my rent, you, you could do that. It's just, it's whatever you guys want to agree between one another on what needs to be done. It, there's no set book for this. So when I was doing some research, I had come across uh, most of what I was finding on there was people were going to pay a certain dollar per square foot. And then from there, they were you know going to be uh, paying back whatever the the... Um, the property management company puts in for build the suit. So we went into this thinking, okay, we're going to, we need to get this thing at 74,000 square feet. We need to be somewhere around $3 a square foot plus pay them back in the course of five years. So that's what our mindset was. Well, when we went and met with them, I brought that up and they said, you know, that's something that they could work with, but they weren't real, you know, like they, they, it, it I wasn't convinced. I kind of thought maybe that they were just looking at it as, oh yeah, you know, whatever, we'll get what we want out of them type of thing. It was going to be a tough negotiation. But I can genuinely say these guys have been a great partner and they've had the opportunity to take advantage of us and they already haven't. Um, so as we go through this, we were going through this process, I was looking through what the average rental rates for, for were for malls and I was finding things at $12 a square foot and I just, I couldn't see how it would spec out. It just, it the numbers didn't make sense. And so I, I've been hesitant about this all along. And... So when we finally got a chance to meet with our, uh, our, our contractors, our architects and contractors, we walked through the facility and we told them this is exactly what we're looking to do. And as he went through, he was taking notes and he got an idea of, okay, this is, I'm going to have to change this roof here. This tile is going to have to be ripped up and the concrete's going to have to be ground down. Like all those things that he's, he was adding up because he's the professional in this. He knows this stuff. Um, took him about two weeks. He got some contractors together. It's a pretty large job. So he came back about two weeks later with a preliminary build-out schedule and what it was going to cost. And we sat down, we went over it, we're very eager. We were hopefully optimistic at 450000 but realistically optimistic at uh, 850000 was kind of where we figured the build-out was going to be. So we were a bit surprised when he opened up the file and it came to $1.4 million. That was a bit of a shock to our system. So my partner and I, Connor, we were both in this meeting and... I started asking some questions and got real firm about where they're getting their numbers from on this. This right now, this this time where that I'm at right now, it is it, it's it's 2018. It's it's September. Contractors have never been more expensive than right now. You know, we, there's there's massive labor shortages out there. There's premiums on every product that's out there because of of demand. Um, it's just it's not in the it's right now. It's not a good time to build things out. It's you're going to pay a premium for it. But that's what we have to deal with. We don't have an alternative for that. So 
we walked away from that and Connor and I discussed it a little bit and I told him, you know, I needed to put the numbers to a statement. I needed to look and see how was this going to play out. So as I sat down thinking about the $3 per square foot and kind of expecting that the mall would want to come back at five fifty dollars a square foot plus the build out, um, I looked at the numbers and it, it added about $300,000 a year to the rent and things got pretty stressful. You know, at that point... We've got people who have already put in their notice at their jobs, who have sold their houses, and I'm staring down the barrel of something that our best case scenario is, is we walk away from that business or from that location and go to find another and it puts us two months behind. That's not the ideal situation. So I, I took these responsibilities on my shoulders to make sure that I'm supporting these guys and I have to pay their salary when the time comes regardless. So the time frame is only, only to my detriment. So I called everybody that I could to try to ask for advice on this. This included my parents, friends, a close friend of mine that actually owns a lot of properties, and we talked this stuff through. But at the end of the day, I didn't have anybody that I could go to and ask exactly about, how did you factor out your, your brick and mortar? Or you know, what, how did the commercial lease end up working out? Because there's so many different variances to it. It's, it's really hard. I mean, it, the, the variables include the type of facility, the size of it, the location, you know, there's, there's so many different things that to not have a commercial broker, it's, it's tough. And a broker may actually be in our best interest in this situation, but CBL Properties has already made it clear if we bring that in, they're going to walk away from this deal. Um, probably because they know that it's going to reduce their profitability on it, but there's, as we went through this, I mean, it's just, they have been a great partner. So I called up the director of leasing and started talking with him about what we ran into. And I brought up that repayment in five years plus $3 per square foot. And the first thing he said was to stop fucking calling him because he's supposed to be working against me, not for me. But he told me we were calculating out about $600,000 a year for rent. And he said, no, you are going to be at about $350,000 per year. He goes, we're looking to have three years of build out or three, within three years, recover the money we put in the build out. We're expecting to put in about a million dollars into the location. And he was able to tell me exactly how much money he expected that we would have to come to the table with. And it was more than what we were expecting, but still it was, it gave us so much more clarity and a better understanding of what we were going to be expecting when we went into negotiations. And quite honestly, that number is where we originally started with budgeting. So it works out really well for us. Um, it was a big relief. And I mean, that, that whole series of events, everything I just talked about right there, probably three months of time and having to wait to find out if a location is going to work for you, what the financials are going to be for three months, it's going to kill you. It's so hard to just not know because you're going to spend all these times pulling up operating statements and trying to figure out what if it's this, how, what's, what's the max I can do? How can this work? And I mean, really, you're just going to continuously keep recalculating your numbers over and over again on your operating statement. And you know, I've heard this from multiple people to start up a business. They say they they put numbers together for their break even, and then when it doesn't work, they redo the numbers. You know, it's sometimes I think you got to have a little bit of blind faith into this stuff. Well, we went through and we looked at how much revenue do we need for all of our expenses just to break even, and for that revenue, what does the customer demand need to be? How many customers per day? And we looked at a a B grade location. So there's another mall about 20 miles away from this one that is in not as good of a, of, in shape. 
Um, the mall we're going into has about 95% occupancy rate, and it's it's a very nice location in a nice area. Um, the B-grade one, not so much. So we figured how much it was going to be to go to that B-grade location. And now knowing both between the two, we're looking at only saving about $100,000 a year, which is only a difference of about five people per day for what we're doing. So if that A location, the one that we originally went to, that Yonkers location, if that's going to provide five more customers per day year round to us, we made a smart investment. We're, we're without a doubt confident it's going to do that and then some. We're, we're thinking probably 30 to 35 more per day at that location. So it's a very wise investment to go to that grade A location. I think a lot of people tend to focus on those grade B locations and getting the low rent, but they miss out the opportunity of really what grade A, like how much more is it and what additional do you need to be of, of revenue? How many more customers is it? If you can break that down. So I'm going to do a little bit of math here and pour the crap on you guys, but let's, let, let's just do some easy numbers. Let's say it costs $10. Every customer that walks through the door costs $10. And that grade A location is going to cost $10,000 more. You need a thousand customers to come through those doors. Well, let's say you're open seven days a week except for holidays, 360 days. So you're looking at really, what, three customers per day? So does a grade A location give you three customers per day? God, I would hope so over a grade B. But that's the difference. That's it's A lot of times it's not this huge, tangible, large amount to go from grade A to grade B. But you know you might be looking at that, at, at that difference in, in rent and say, you know, that's just something that we can't swing. Well, honestly, if it, if, if you think about this in the customer, man, it's something you can't afford to not swing. You got to figure out how to make it work. So my friend who owns all these properties, he asked me how, if I was sure I was going to see the customer count that, uh, that we need to support the business. And you know, it's, it's good to have friends that are going to question you and second guess you, especially if they know what they're talking about. I'd be very cautious about listening to people who are questioning you that really don't have any experience in this stuff because I mean, really, where, where all they're coming from is just straight criticisms, not from experience. Well, this friend of mine, when he asked me that, it made me take a step back, and I went to the uh, the uh, census website for United States Census, and you can pull the county demographics. So I pulled all businesses like us in the Midwest, all indoor carting tracks across the Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, and Illinois, and then I pulled the population demographics for the counties that they're in and compared them all. And we actually, our location was fell pretty much right in the median of that. So it gave me confidence that we have the population, that the area can support that. Um, so the next thing we did is we reviewed all the, when we were first doing all this stuff, the carding, we went to a bunch of carding locations. I went from anywhere from Denver to Florida to Cincinnati and Illinois and just went to all the different car track venues. Well, in those systems, it tells you what your driver score is out of how many and it, we could go back and we could see how long ago they opened business. With that, we could get a direct answer of what is our customer demand going to be if we're anything like this. So we, we took about eight locations, average amount, looked at it, and we're about 40 customers per day over what, uh, what our break even is. So if we're just average, we're, we're very profitable. It, that process of doing those things really made you give the confidence saying that this location is gonna work out really well. And it's nice because it's close to everybody's home, uh, except for Tracy and Zach having to buy a house over here and moving here. But um, and actually Kevin as well, he's got to move his as well. Um, but all these locations um, that we looked at, this one seems to fit our bill the best. We've got the best customer demand. 
the best demographics. It's surrounded by businesses for B2B uh, sales. Um, it, the, the least dollar is going to fall in range. We've got a great property management company. You know, for me to call him and with and talk to him about, you know, planning for $600,000 in rent and him come back to say, well, no, you're going to probably be around three hundred fifty. I don't know. Where, he, he told me, I don't know where the hell you're getting that five years at a dollar per certain dollar per square foot plus build out. He's like, we haven't done business like that since the 90s. So the information that I was trying to find, maybe I'm really bad at finding the information, but it was extremely outdated. Um, hopefully you're not running into those same snags, but it really, I mean, it's, it's about how much do you want the location? What are you willing to pay for it? And then go into negotiation. You do got to watch out for all the little loopholes of like common space sharing and stuff like that. That um, So like this mall has obviously the hallways that go between all those businesses and those hallways have to be maintained. There's an expense to it. So the mall, the management company is going to pass those expenses on to me because it benefits me, which is fair. Um, but we got to look and see how much that's going to be. And so as we as we go through negotiations, there's going to be small things that are going to pop up with that. Um, but really, we're at the point now where, you know, we're $350,000 a year and that's net. I mean, that's going to that. There, so there's a couple different ways properties work um, or there, there's gross, which is they uh, that's what I pay. I pay that plus utilities and that's it. Um, and then there's triple net, which is, um, triple net includes you, you have to pay the taxes, the, uh, maintenance and repair on the facility and, um, have one other thing, building insurance. That's what it is. So, um, the, yeah, so triple net is it's, they're going to pay building insurance, uh, maintenance, and then real estate taxes. So that can, you know, you can get some variables with that, especially when you start to think the maintenance, um, uh, that can go up and down. So having a gross lease kind of helps out a little bit to just be able to predict exactly what your expenses are going to be every year for that. Um, but obviously, we're still going to have to pay utilities because that's a variable for anybody, any business that's going into those locations, uh, how much power they consume and the heat and all those things. Um, but this, the way we're going at it is we're doing the gross lease. Um, the triple net gross lease seem to be the two ways that I tend to, that I saw that happen out there. I'm sure there's a million other ways of how it works. Um, but a lot of times people look at, you know, how, what is your cost per square foot? Now, what you're probably going to do is you're going to log online like everybody else. You're going to go to LoopNet. You're going to look at these commercial real estate properties and uh, try to get an idea of what your expenses are going to be. And I, I can tell you right now that that's nowhere near where they should end up falling. So, um, if I, if I go to LoopNet for these locations, you know, I'm finding somewhere between $15, $17 a square foot seems to be pretty common out there. Well, yeah, that's what they're asking for. It's kind of like when you go to a dealer and they have the MSRP on the window, you never end up paying that actual dollar amount unless it's like a really high demand car. Um, it's a starting point. So when I was going into negotiation for this, this location, I was planning on probably falling in that total of, you know, eight and a half dollars per square foot was where I wanted to be. Um, so when we went to go meet with the, the manager of the location, uh, we contacted, we have a consultant who's kind of helping us through all this stuff. Um, so we contacted our consultant and he said, yeah, you know, they might want, might want a half dollars a square foot, but doesn't mean you don't offer them four and, you know, start the con the conversation there and see if they're willing to take it. Um, which that was some of the most helpful advice we could have gotten at that point, because that's exactly what we did. We went in there and I told him I need five dollars per square foot um they came back uh, the actually the manager at the location he was extremely helpful he said if you want to get five dollars per square foot i know the the lease director i need you to start negotiation at three dollars per square foot and you know ultimately 
the dollar per square foot didn't matter at all. You know, it, it, it with this fleet or with this uh, with this lease. Um, but you're probably going to have that with other locations. So you got to remember everything is a negotiation with this. You have the ability to offer them significantly less than what they're asking for it and just start working there. Now, when you're negotiating this, that's the way you really should go. You should offer drastically less than you think they would be willing to accept. So think about it this way. If I go in there, let's say 10, it's listed for $10 per square foot. We'll just do this with easy numbers. I go in there and I offer them three. That person who's got it listed for 10 is going to be pissed off about that and say, absolutely not. The lowest I could go is eight. Well, you already took $2 per square foot off that. So you move, you say, okay, you know what? I get that, but I can't afford, honestly, I can't afford more than four. That's, that's the highest I can go on this. I just don't see how it can work out, but I'd love to make it work. You start building that relationship with them and then you might see where they say, well, you know what? I think I can make it work with six, but we need to sign a five-year lease. And then then that's when you're, you know, right there, you're only, you, you've saved $4 off what they, per square foot off they originally requested. I mean, at 10,000 square feet, that's $40,000 a year. That's huge. And at that point, yeah, you asked for a lot in the beginning that may have offended him, but you've moved towards him. And that person you're negotiating with feels like you are a reasonable person, you're understanding, and you're willing to work with them. So... At the end of the day, yeah, you've got it for $4 per square foot. You may have been willing to pay that $10 per square foot, but you've reduced it by four and they're very happy with it because they feel like you're getting, you're negotiating with them. You're moving with them without doing this process. Even if you go there and you give them 10, there's no appreciation for it. There's no, there's no relationship there. All it is, is they're, they're getting a lot of money off of you, which profit only takes you so far. So if they feel like they make a connection with you and that you were willing to be reasonable with your negotiations, everybody wins in that situation. So that was the mindset we went into. And I mean, ultimately, we have a good enough partner. I'm confident with the CBL properties that they're going to come back with us with exactly what their expectation is. It's not going to be something that's a negotiation. They're going to give us a very reasonable rate. And the reason why I believe that is because of the conversation I had with, with the director of leasing yesterday um, being that it was going to be 250000 higher than what he was thinking, for him to say, no, it's not going to be that much. This is pretty much exactly where we're going to fall. I can tell you straight, honest. So that means a lot to me. That tells me that they're going to just make sure that they give us a solid deal. Every And, you know, we don't want them to be broke over it. We want them to make profit off of it because otherwise they're not going to be likely to renew our lease if we need to. Granted, in our contract, we're going to put in there that we want at least three of uh, the ability to renew our lease three times. Um... I don't know if that's something we'll be able to get to do, but we're going to try like hell to be able to get that. Uh, we also do have a real estate lawyer on our back end that knows this stuff really well, so he can advise as we go along um, if, if there's any issues, any challenges that come up. There is a lot of small businesses that go under because they sign a bad lease, so spend a lot of time here researching. Um, obviously, these podcasts, like I said, as I go, I'm learning these things. So what I this entire podcast may be completely wrong. But hopefully it gets you in the right direction or it lets you learn from my mistakes. But just you got to do more research like with anything, especially if you're doing a, a, a big investment like this is going to be in the millions of dollars for your for your startup. You've really you've got to be ahead of the game on this. You've really got to start moving and 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 researching this as much as possible so that when you go into these situations, you are fully informed on what's best to do. Um, this is where the late nights come in, those long hours. You know, you're, you might not be doing anything physically with building, but you're building your skills, you're building your mindset. And that's just as important as a physical product. 
is being sharp on that so that when you go out there, you don't get your face kicked in. It's not easy. It's, you know, there's these guys know their stuff. The guy that I'm dealing with, the director of leasing, has been doing it for 32 years. For me to be doing it for two or three months, I, I'm going to have a hard time negotiating that. And maybe that's, if you feel that way too, maybe it is a good idea for you to get a, uh, a, a commercial real estate broker in the situation. Um, I would probably advise advi- uh, seeking counsel with one at least. Uh, they are very expensive, extremely expensive. And their job is is to get you in the door to have the conversation with the landlords as well. Um, so we had tried that with our broker. He didn't get us anywhere. We took it into our own hands and got it. So um, at this point, we feel like we probably have control of the ship. Um, so the next steps, basically, we we need to have the, the, the down payment and the backing of the finance of the bank to be able to go to the final negotiations for the lease. This is where it gets a little bit tougher. So... We're going through an SBA 7A loan, which requires 20% down the owner of the business to personally guarantee everything. And it's got a 10-year repayment term. Um, and they do 7.75% uh, interest on anything over a half a million dollars. Uh, anything under 7.25%. Um, so you have to be denied by banks to be approved for, by the SBA. And the Small Business Administration, what they do, um, they guarantee 75% of the loan. So... The bank has only 25% liability if we fail. Well, the bank's also requiring a 20% down payment. So they're really only risking 5% of their money. Um, and we're writing personal guarantees. So it makes it pretty easy for a bank to do this. Um, we found a bank that is a preferred SBA lender. So what that means is that that bank has the ability to say, hey, you're approved to, to do this. You're approved for this, this uh, loan without having to consult the SBA. Um, the SBA is a government uh, entity, so obviously anything with that, it's going to go slow. Um, so finding that bank that has that the ability to just be able to say, yeah, your loan's approved and go forward without having to reach out to them, um, that can expedite the process quite significantly. Uh, I was informed we could have the money in as little as 45 days. Now, our job is is to have that down payment in that time frame to be able to secure those funds. Um, so we put in a request for $1.26 million for the loan. Um, it's a startup. This is getting that type of money is going to be tough. Um, we're going to go through a lot of issues, a lot of uh, headwinds to be able to get this. And the door might get shut in our face. Um, there is other options. There's, there's always other options. It's just the terms aren't nearly as favorable. Um, and ultimately, we're going to go after whatever options we need to to make this work. Um, I'm confident through the research I've done, the people I've talked to and the investors we have that this is going to come to fruition, but it's going to get hard um, and the money's going to get tight. So right now, when we looked at what that build out, what that was going to be, we realized we need about $117,000 more than what we have. And I sat down and started writing out a list of all the stuff that I own that I can sell to start getting capital. Um, and that includes some things that I've really care about a lot. Uh, things that I've, I, I've enjoyed, things that I love, but you've really got to look and ask yourself, where are your priorities? Are your priorities with your stuff or are your priorities with growing a, a business that's going to carry you through and take you to new light, new heights that you never knew possible? You know, you might have a car that's worth $10,000 that you love. You put your heart and soul into it. Or, you know, you might have a, a vacation home that, you know, that is just where you get away or, um, Let's say that every year you buy your family tickets to go to Disney or something. Well, all those things can be done again in the future and maybe and then some. So that car, yeah, like you're 
$10,000 fucking Honda Accord that you put a, some louvers and a hood scoop on to make rad as shit. It, yeah, you might love it because it was what you did when you were a teenager and you still have it. But if you can get your money out of that crap and be able to put it towards the business, you're going to put those louvers and hood scoops and stupid shit on a Lamborghini at that point when you get your business up and running because you know that you're willing to go through the hard times and and struggle and really get rid of things that you love. You're willing to make those sacrifices. It's going to make you a successful business person. So putting that list together of things that you can get capital for, I mean, just start getting rid of it. Get it out of your sight, get it out of your focus and build up that bank account because the more money you have in the bank account, the more likely investors are gonna be willing to work with you. Um, and honestly, those terms can be quite favorable. So for us, like an investor right now, Investors, we, we look at like what a three-year build-out is, what, what we're going to see for financial projections for three years. Uh, we use the financials from a bunch of different carding facilities and what the expected revenue is going to be based on customer demand. We pulled the expenses out and we looked. The business makes you know a, a decent amount every year, about $300,000 every year in profit. Well, if I own, let's say, 10% of that, I'm getting paid $30,000. Well, right now, to buy into our, our company, it's about $1.77, if I remember correctly off the top of my head, per share. So I, I can own, or no, I'm sorry, not one percentage is in $1.77, one share is. So um, we have one million shares, so one-tenth one of a percent, I think it is, or, or one-hundredth of a percent. Um, but it doesn't take much that in that three years with that, ter that payout, if I invest $30,000 this year, that... Actually, we have somebody who's doing this. It actually is going to be worth about $150,000 in three years if if we hit all of our financial projections that are there. Um, and that's some pretty expensive money. That's really expensive. It's a whole shitload more than 7.75%. So the money that we take from investors, we want to be as minimum as possible. We if, if we could take no money from investors, we would absolutely do it because all it does is it reduces the overall profitability for the business down the road, which... That might be fine if you're doing, you know, an intangible startup like a, an IT company or something, a software company, things like that. Um, that might be fine because you need a shitload of capital because your burn rate, which is how much money you spend before you ever make a dollar, it, it might be astronomical. And you need that financial support from somebody. You're not going to be able to get that by selling your Honda Accord or whatever the hell it is. Um, but for us, you know, we we know exactly the dollar amount we need to, and it's it's an attainable amount. Um, three hundred and forty thousand dollars or something like that, I think, is where we're going to end up falling. That we have to have capital out of pocket. It is tough because during this time, we're also paying for licensing, lawyers, um, real realtors, and appraisals, and I mean, just all sorts of stuff. And we still have to continue developing our products. So we have expenses day after day after day right now that is taking away from that cash. And I explained this to my partners, with 20% down, every physical dollar we spend right now costs us $5 in financing at 7.75%. That's the, the cheapest money we're ever gonna get for a startup. So we have to be very cautious about how much money we're spending on startup and leave it only to the absolute necessities. Um, so that's kind of where we're sitting right now. We've, we've gotta get the bank to finally give us the thumbs up on everything. Now that we have the build out budget, we know exactly how much we're gonna have to come to the table with. We have, we have the ability to go to the bank and say this is exactly the amount of money we, we need. So submitted that stuff yesterday. Um, so probably our next podcast is going to be along the lines of how to work with the bank and what they're going to be looking for. Um, it's probably not going to be a fun process, but it's it's going to be a 
pretty serious learning experience. And hopefully I can take that information and give it to you guys. So hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. Please subscribe, let your friends know about it, anybody who we can help with. The only purpose we're doing this podcast is literally just to try to help out. If you have somebody you know who's trying to start up a business, I know I was searching for answers. I couldn't find them anywhere. Had a hell of a time with it. It frustrated me. If I could just had listened to somebody going through the same challenges, going through the same struggles, and also the experiences of like what actually happens. If I could have had that while I was before all this, it would have made me at least feel a whole lot better about what I'm doing and giving me some direction. So hopefully I can give that for you guys. I'll talk to you guys later. You guys have a great week. See ya.